0: Well, today is, as you know, January the 1st, 2023. It is the first day of the new year. Many people use this day, as you know, to make decisions for the coming year. For me personally, I have no idea why people think like this. If something is good, if something is smart for you, for your family, why on God's green earth are you waiting until January 1st to make that change? Now, even though I personally don't necessarily uh, buy into the whole New Year's resolution thing, because I know that there are some people who do, I want to use this day uh, to challenge you to make a change. No, I'm not going to ask you to lose weight. Whew! We would all be in in trouble at that point. No, I'm not going to ask you or challenge you to empty your wallets into the offering box. Donna told me the other day that uh, I guess a new trend, which I don't know, I don't get into trends. A new trend these days is that you have a word for the year. You ever heard of that? Anybody heard of that? You have a word for the year. I never heard of that. Um, and maybe your word is uh, save. Maybe it's like you know I got to start saving money this year. I'm going to take out so much out of my paycheck. Uh, maybe for some people it's you know compassion. I need to be compassionate wherever I go, whoever's you know those those things to just challenge you throughout the year. What I'm asking you today is that from here, today, next week, next month, for the rest of your lives, is that you would be discerning. I want you to have discernment. If, there, if, if you have a word for the year, that is your word for life. I was reading recently, a question was asked a pastor, what do you believe is the biggest problem in the church today? And his answer was a lack of discernment. The reason I bring this up today is because I agree 100%. For those of you who who know me very well, know what I'm talking about, it seems that a majority of the church today, not one church, but the church as a whole, is totally ignorant. They have no understanding of the Word of God they can't seem to tell the difference. They can't seem to discern between right and wrong. The spirit of God versus the spirit of man. Truth and error. Or the real difficulty, to quote Charles Spurgeon, to distinguish what's true from what's almost true. Many people today who are attending some local church or who call themselves Christians don't even have a cursory understanding of basic biblical truths or simple Bible doctrines. Some person with a a Christian title, I'm the reverend so-and-so, I'm the bishop so-and-so, or the nonsensical, I'm the prophet so-and-so, or apostle, whatever they call themselves anymore. They stand in front of a person on Sunday morning, or maybe they write a book, or maybe you see them on TV. They can say absolutely anything they want, imply that it's totally biblical. Carry a Bible in one hand, and everybody just says, Amen. And from that point on, the congregation doesn't just buy into what was said, but now they begin to even defend it. And sometimes... They will use the same Bible verse that this so-called pastor used, yet they themselves have never even looked up the Bible verse, don't know what it says. I mean, I've been approached with this kind of stuff. As a pastor, I've been approached with this stuff over the year. And somebody will throw out a Bible verse that is absolutely so far out of context, it is insane. The person who wrote it Who has it been written to? The situation it applies? What's the immediate context? None of that seems to matter. These people are going to defend this belief, which they themselves know nothing about, even if it flies in the face of Scripture. And yes, they all call themselves Christians. Because of the church's lack of discernment, they are capable of getting literally any biblical truth completely wrong. Heaven and hell, marriage and divorce, sin, forgiveness. Yes, even the doctrine of salvation. Folks, this is a proven fact today if you're paying attention. This is why there are so many Unbiblical, unchristian beliefs that are being accepted today as Christianity. You can define Christianity as, you know, A, and somebody can add B and C and D and E. And because the church is so undiscerning, they still claim it as Christianity. How many of you remember 1978 and what's been called the Jonestown Massacre? That's what I thought. Everybody my age and older were close. I'm not going to give you the whole story, but there was a pastor by the name of Jim Jones. He was a pastor of the the People's Temple. He deceived over 900 people to commit suicide by drinking cyanide-laced Kool-Aid. If you're like me, you remember those pictures on the TV set of dead people everywhere. If you've ever heard the statement, don't drink the Kool-Aid, that's where that came from. A little more recent, 1993, there was a man named David Koresh. You guys remember that one? Maybe some of you might. Yeah, even the 20-something said yes. He was a leader of a group of Branch Davidians in Waco, Texas. They were an offshoot of the Seventh-day Adventist. This man claimed to be the son. He literally said, and I quote, I am the Lamb of God. Men, women, and children, and I remember this, who were quoting their Bibles, followed him in death as they stood up to the government. Folks, I personally know, me, I personally know a person whose wife had cancer and was told by the church that God was going to heal her. You just need to believe and you need to pray. There's no medical intervention necessary because that that wouldn't be trusting in God. Anybody want to guess what happened to his wife? I'll give you a hint. She's dead today. That's here in Lynchburg, by the way. That church is about mm, five minutes from here. Thousands and thousands of people have lost tens of thousands of dollars by donating it to televangelists, expecting some kind of amazing blessing in return. People have moved across the country. They've moved overseas to be a part of this so-called ministry, and they found out the hard way it's anything but Christian. Folks, I could spend the entire morning discussing things like this. But all of these are real people who call themselves Christians who thought they were following God. They were listening to their pastor. The church today doesn't seem to have any discernment. Folks, I cannot tell you how many times I've seen this garbage on Facebook Something to the effect of if you believe God is going to give you a blessing, if you believe God has a miracle for you, type Amen right now and watch for the next 24 hours. After I finish shaking my head and going, How pathetic, I'll look on the replies and you know what? I will always find somebody I know. Like, man, I need to have a little conversation with people. As if God is obliged, you typed amen, God is obliged, he has to provide something for you now. It's it's unbelievable. Christians don't seem to know what to run from and what to embrace. They can't tell the difference between a solid Bible teacher and someone that they really need to reject. Why is it that Christians can spot fake news in a heartbeat? They can spot it a mile away. They'll caution all their friends. They'll say, did you hear this? Did you see that? Because it's utter nonsense. But these are people who have been in the church for 20 years, and they can be deceived by a false teacher at one sitting. One sitting. But they can tell you what fake news is, but they can't tell you what's fake biblically. What's the matter with that? very sad. All this being said, folks, what is discernment? What does it mean to discern? Thayer's Greek says, to see whether a thing be genuine or not. Okay. The complete Bible dictionary says it's the notion of proving a thing, whether it is worthy or not. Okay. Okay. Here's the best secular definition, and honestly, it's probably the best definition. To discern means to recognize small details, accurately telling the difference between similar things, and make intelligent judgments by using such observations. The ability to do this, or the process of doing this, is called discernment. For example, he, they say, only through careful discernment can you tell a genuine artifact from the work of a counterfeiter. Oh, that's perfect. It's perfect. Deuteronomy chapter 32, verse 28, speaking of Israel, it says, They are a nation without sense. There is no discernment in them. Think about that for a second. There is no discernment, which he's saying you have no sense. Psalm 119, 125, he says, I am your servant, give me discernment so that I may understand your statutes, simply meaning your word. We need discernment, folks. We must have discernment. Proverbs chapter three, verse 21. My son, preserve sound judgment and discernment. Those things are almost synonymous. Preserve sound judgment and discernment. Do not let them out of your sight. Folks, that sounds to me like it's something we have to have every single day. Do not let them out of your sight. Live by this. Sound judgment and discernment. One more, Philippians 1, 9 and 10. This is Paul, obviously, writing to the church in Philippi. and He says, this is my prayer for you, that your love may abound more and more in knowledge and depth of insight. Here's why. So that you may be able to discern what is best, and listen, and may be pure and blameless until the day of Christ. If it sounds to me, if you want to mature in Christ, you need to have the capability to discern. Discernment is the ability to think, to judge, to test, to understand, to examine, scrutinize, or determine. There's a word there for everybody. Whatever word clicks in your head, fine. That's what discernment is. You know, as a pastor, it is part of my job is to protect the flock. Okay? The word pastor, poimane, it comes from the Greek word meaning shepherd. That's what it means, shepherd. A shepherd guards, a shepherd watches over, and he protects the flock. And so should a pastor that's why I'm doing what I'm doing now. That being said, folks, it's not, it's not much for the shepherd to ask that the sheep understand danger. The sheep need to learn the difference between uh, seeing a wolf and seeing a yellow lab. And they will get to know the difference, won't they? They'll know. For the church... There should be no difference. It's no different for the church, folks. Plus, we've been given all the help that we need. We have been given the Word of God. We have been given the Scriptures. We have been given the guidebook for life. It's there, it's in our hands. We can get it in a hundred different translations in your hand, in your phone, on your computer. It's everywhere. And not only are we given answers, not only are we given absolute truth, but in those same scriptures we are given warnings. Some of those warnings are in the form of a command. Turn to 1 John chapter 4. 1 John chapter 4. This book in its entirety, not just chapter 4, but this book in its entirety, is John equipping the church to deal with the false belief system. Many of you know it, it's called Gnosticism. Just like in today's church, folks, many had a lack of discernment. And therefore, these false teachers were able to just simply waltz their way right into the church with these erroneous doctrines. And sadly, they were having an effect on the church. Now, as far as the church knew, these were just other Christians. They just came in to worship with us, right? Well, they were having, they meaning the false teachers, the false brethren. They were having enough effect on the church that obviously the Apostle John felt he had no choice but to write this letter and not just to strongly argue for the truth, but also to shut down what these people were teaching. And he also, if you remember, I think Dave, you taught on this a few years ago, he also, in so many words, strongly urged the church that just because someone says, I'm a Christian, doesn't mean they are. I'm getting a little preachy today, sorry. Just because someone raises their I'm a Christian. You know those little stickers on, people used to put it here, Hi, my name is, I'm a Christian. It doesn't mean anything, folks. It doesn't mean they are. And it certainly doesn't mean that what they're going to teach is absolutely true. One must know the truth and then be able to test their teaching by it. Don't just say, oh, they claim to be a Christian, therefore it's, it's obviously going to be true. Well, you're gullible. Years ago, we had a woman right here in Discover Church who said in front of everyone, if a person... Uh, claims to speak for God, thus, you know, prophesying. If they say, God told me, she said the first thing we're to do is accept it and believe it. That ain't the first thing that I think of when somebody tells me that. That's what she said. Also, years ago, we had a couple of men... I've told you this before, walk into the church. They stayed for the church service, but they began to tell people that we still need to be celebrating the Jewish festivals, Christian or not. Not too long ago, we we had a woman come and she stayed here at Discover for a, a little bit, and she maintained that Christians are still under the Mosaic law. Now, if I would have let her talk, which I did not, I really wonder if she would have convinced anybody. If I'd have let any of these people talk, I really wonder if anybody here would have been convinced. I would love to have been to say as a proud pastor, not in this church. but I wonder. The bottom line is that the church needs to develop spiritual discernment in order to protect themselves from others and others from deception. And I gave those examples because those are people who walked right in our doors and sat right next to you on a Sunday morning. People just usually go, oh, hey, great, nice to meet you. And then we just assume, boom. I mean, we don't want to assume the worst in people, obviously. But you need to be discerning. I want you to look with me at chapter 4, verse 1. Now, John is going to get into a very specific doctrine. With these people, but verse one, which is all we're going to look at, verse one can be applied to any of them. What does it say? Dear friends, listen do not believe every spirit, but test the spirits to see whether they are from God. And here's the why because many false prophets have gone out into the world. First things first. Do not believe every spirit, he says. Now, folks, when I was a kid, and maybe some of you heard the same thing, when I was a kid, my mom used to tell me, Darren, don't believe everything you hear. My mom told me a lot of things. It's probably the less offensive one. You can probably attach the words, don't be so gullible. Today, as an adult, listen, I question everything. I do. I question everything. Decades ago, when a government official said something, you accepted it as truth and you dealt with it accordingly. (laughs) Ha ha! Not anymore. Growing up in the 70s, watching the news, you believed what the anchor reported to you. Not anymore. The infomercial said, take this pill and you will lose a pound a day. I don't think so. Folks, you and I question many things. We do. We question a lot of things, and we should. We live in a world full of deception. Why is it that we lax when it comes to the most important thing? spiritual truth. It obviously wasn't much different here in the first century or John would not have commanded them. Do not believe every spirit as he smacks them upside the back of the head from a distance. In the Greek, that's in the present tense. That means stop believing it. It's already going on. Folks, listen, it was that bad. He had to literally say, stop it. Would you stop believing everybody who comes along? Oh, we're Christians too, and they just feed you this nonsense. Oh, oh, okay. He said, stop it. I hate to to say it this way, but just like them, many in in the church today are suckers. They're being duped by spiritual con artists because, you guessed it, they're not discerning. Folks, remember what I said just a few minutes ago, what it means to discern. I'm going to say it again. It is the ability to think, to judge, to test, to examine, scrutinize, knowing that Knowing what some Christians today believe, they're obviously doing none of that. What I hear people say to me today about this or that, trust me, no one is testing anything. No one is examining anything. They're certainly not scrutinizing anything certain people say. Look back at verse 1. Now, just so you understand the words that he's using here, I don't want there to be any misunderstanding. You'll notice twice here in this verse, um, John uses the word spirit, okay? But I want you to understand that he's applying that term to the false prophet, okay? Look at verse one. Dear friends, do not believe every what? Spirit, but test the spirits. Why? What does he say? Because many false prophets have gone out in the world. You see that? He says spirit and spirit. Why? Because of false prophets, the spirit, if you will, that he's talking about here is who is influencing or who is behind the false prophet. In this case, it would be simply demonic. Okay, To quote Kenneth Wiest, he says, Paul finds the source of false doctrine in demons who motivate the false teachers to advocate heresy. It's kind of like you say our, our battle is not against flesh and blood, Right? We know that, right? It's against, the, it's against the angels, principalities, and powers, and so forth. Same thing here. We're not, we're not necessarily battling the, the teacher. It's the demon behind it. It's, it's the spirit of that person behind it. That's why he says, do not, do not follow the spirit, but he calls them false prophets. We could just look at it and say, listen to what the false prophets say. Think of, think of 1 Timothy chapter 4, verse 1. This is a good example. First Timothy 4, 1 Timothy 4.1, it says this. It says the Spirit, and this is the Holy Spirit, the Holy Spirit clearly says that in latter times some will abandon the faith, now listen folks, and they will follow deceiving spirits and things taught by demons. Now listen, spirits and demons don't waltz in the door of the church, but people do. Do you understand what I'm getting at? It's who or what's behind them. Who is influencing them? Who are they speaking for? They're not speaking for God. I hope that makes it a little clearer. So therefore he says, stop believing every spirit. But what? He says, test them. Test them. Test the spirits to see whether they are from God. That does it. That's not deep and theological. It's not something they're going, wow, Darren, you're really (laughs) stretching it there. Test the spirits to see whether they are from God. Test the words that are coming out of the mouth of people, false teachers, whatnot, to see if what they're saying is from God. 1 Thessalonians 5.21, it's really the same context. It's speaking of prophecies, right? What people claim to say on God's behalf. Paul says, test everything. And then he said, and hold fast to that which is good. Somebody comes along and says, the Bible says this, God says this. He says, test it. Interesting, that word test there, it's actually translated to discern in Philippians 1.10. Okay? Same word I've been talking about. It's also in the present tense, which simply means keep on testing the spirits. Continue to test the spirits to see whether they are from God. Keep doing it. Don't stop doing it. Folks, false teachers aren't going away. If anything, there's more of them today, right? Never stop testing what you hear is what he's saying. Well, Darren, I I did what you said and I tested the last four people and they were sound. Great doesn't mean number five is going to come in rock solid either. Do it for the rest of your lives because there's only going to be an increasing amount of false teaching. And you know why that is? Because the church is undiscerning. They know that. They say, suckers written across their head. I can get away with anything. Just go teach it. People will believe it. How many of you remember the Bereans? Yes, a few of you. Acts 17 verse 11 It's really a simple verse, but it's profound. But the Bereans were of more noble character than the Thessalonians. Who doesn't want to be of more noble character? But he tells us why are they of more noble character. He says because they received Paul's message with great eagerness. That's a good thing. Are you eager to hear the word of God? Do you want to? But listen to this. They received it. Then it says they examined the Scriptures every day to see if what Paul said was true. Wow. Think about that just for a second. You have the Apostle Paul... Everybody knew the Apostle Paul. Everybody heard of the Apostle Paul. Paul comes in their teaching, and there, Paul is going to be here tonight in the Colosseum at 7 p.m. And everybody flocked to hear what he had to say. Dude, that's the Apostle Paul. And then they spent the next day checking the scriptures out. Let me see if what he said was true. Let's what does your translation say? That's what they did. Not a bad idea, right? Yeah, exactly. Now, kind of as I just said, how do we test, right? What do we test with? Well, if you want to know if something is false, if you want to know if something is errant, the standard must be what? The truth, right? Must be the truth. We all, we all have heard the stories over the time, but you know, for the bankers, To know if, let's just say, a $20 bill is counterfeit, what do they do? They look at a real one. They look at the true $20 bill. See, if we want to know if something is errant, false, we need to first know what the truth is. Well, in John 17, 17, Jesus said, God's word is truth. In Psalm 119, verse 160, all your words are true. John chapter 8, verse 31 and 32, if you abide in my word, you will know what? The truth. And there's more, but I'll stop there. Folks, listen to me. Do not test something through your ignorant friend. Don't call your buddy, your girlfriend. Hey, I heard this guy last night. This is what he said. What do you think? For all you know, she's, she's gonna like him because he has a man bun. Something stupid. Oh, I think that sounds really cool. That's oh, I like the way he said that. Who cares? Don't throw something by your ignorant friend to find the truth. Don't test it by a book of your favorite author. That's not who we seek truth from. Many of you know 2 Timothy 3, 16 and 17, right? All Scripture is God-breathed, right? Inspired by God. Scripture, he says, the Bible. He says it's useful teaching. But then what does he say? It's The Bible is useful for rebuking and correcting. Yep, you heard it right, folks. The Bible is useful for that. And you know why? Because Scripture is true. Scripture is what the basis is. That's the standard. It rebukes and it corrects. It doesn't get corrected because it's true. If someone teaches something that contradicts Scripture, and I mean Scripture in context, what they are saying is not of God. I don't care if they have a Bible in their hand. I don't care how popular they are. I don't care how cool they look up on the stage or the pulpit. People cherry-pick Scripture to try to make some kind of point, and these people have no problem ripping a text out of its context and giving it a different meaning. They will have no problem taking the very word of God and making it mean something else to fit whatever they want to tell you. Boy, I have a real problem with that. If you want to know whether to respect someone's teaching or not, don't look further than that. If they're willing to just take a scripture and make it mean something else to prove their point in whatever their point may be, Walk, walk, burn the book, tell other people, that guy is willing to take the word of God completely and totally out of its context. Like he's telling God, yeah, I know you meant this, but I don't want to use it for that. I'm just going to use it for something else. You would hate if somebody did that to you. You stood in front of your boss. Well, so-and-so said you did this yesterday after work. I, yes, I said that. That's not the context it was taken in. Well, you said it. Blah, blah, blah. You'd go, whoa, wait wait a second. You'd be, fr- be fried. But yet, it's okay to do that to God's word? No, it's not. Remember Ephesians 6, verse 17. It's the armor of God. Somebody's going to be teaching on that fairly soon, I think. There's only one defensive weapon in the armor. Do you know that? We have the armor of God. There's only one defensive weapon. What is it? He says it's the sword of the Spirit, which is what? The Word of God. He's telling us the Word of God provides Christians with their primary defense against error. I mean, it's as simple as that. It's the Word of God. That is our defense, our primary, our only defense against error. There's not 15 books of truth. There's one. It's the Word of God. Okay, last thing. What is the primary reason that John is bringing this up? The church is told here to be discerning. We're told to test what we hear because he says, many false teachers have gone out into the world. Notice he didn't say a few. Notice he didn't say a handful. Okay? He didn't just say, well, you know, we're just talking about the ones who we're, you know, we're dealing with here in my letter. No. He said, many, 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 many. And then he said, they're everywhere. What did he say? They've gone out into the world. Many false teachers. I believe God's word is true. So when it says words like a few or many, I take that to mean a few or many. I don't know the exact number, but, that, but I, I get the hint. I get to what he's saying. There are lots of false teachers out in this world. Now, there's no question that in context, John is talking about what was taking place then in the first century, right? We know that, okay? But if you think for a minute that Satan schemes, that he deceives people, if you think that is over with, it was just talking about then, you live under a rock. If man wants to believe something, if man wants to believe anything, trust me, Satan will supply a teacher with this doctrine to meet that need. If I want to believe that my God says I can have sex with whoever I want to have sex, as many times as I want, I don't care if I'm married, Satan will provide a teacher to teach it. Whatever it is, he'll provide it. If you look at what's being taught today, even in the name of Christianity, you're going, "What? You, you're kidding me, right? Because Satan will provide somebody to teach it. If you want to get rich, oh, he'll send you to many of scam artists who'll explain to you how God wants you to be wealthy. Of course, the only one getting wealthy is the one who's up there preaching. If you won't want to hear that you're a sinner, I'm tired of that. I don't want to hear I'm a sinner. I don't want to be told that I need a Savior. No problem. Satan will make you feel good, and he'll send you right to Houston, Texas to a man named Joel Osteen. Joel says... Tell yourself this. Keep telling yourself. These are all words that he has said. Tell yourself I am blessed. I am prosperous. I am successful. I am victorious. I am talented. I am creative. I am wise. I am healthy. I am in shape. I'm energetic. I'm happy. I'm positive. I'm passionate. I'm strong. I'm confident. I'm secure, I'm beautiful, and last, I am attractive. This is what he calls a sermon. Tell yourself these things. I am all these things. The power of I am. How's that for a misleading book title? We know I am as the great I am. No, the power of I am, the I am is me, it's you. Boy, how's that for deceptive? How many people will stand before God and say, well, I'm talented, I'm excited, I'm happy, I'm proud. He says, so? But what about your sin? Yeah, but I'm attractive. Yeah, but I'm blessed. Yeah, but I'm prosperous. But what about your sin? Folks, Satan works through false teachers. Joel Osteen is one of many. And they are all deceiving the church. The church. And when the church is as gullible and undiscerning as it is today, listen, it's easy pickings. It's not surprising to me when I find another person on, on TV that I've never heard of who's up there preaching the prosperity gospel. It's not surprising to me. You know why? Because he sits there and goes, man, these Christians are as bod- undiscerning, as gullible as it gets. This guy has made multi-millions and millions and millions of dollars. And these Christians just keep flocking to him. I'm going to do the same thing. And that's exactly what you see. I'm not surprised there's not more people. They just go up there and let it rip, and here they come. People just come on in. Here, take my money. I believe whatever it is you say. We live in a time where people believe the worst of heresies. All you have to do, folks, is just have a building and slap the name church on the outside. That's it. That's all you need to do. And the people will show up. They won't even care about what you believe. They won't care if you have a doctrinal statement. You know, it it says church on the outside. That's it, right? Because I am the undiscerning Christian. That's why. The easiest way to dupe the undiscerning church, is to give just enough of the truth so that people stick around and then pack it with a lie. you got to give some truth. That's when people go, oh, I've heard that before. Uh Uh-huh, oh yeah, that's good, oh yeah. My mom used to give me that verse when I was a kid. You give them just enough of the truth and you feed them lie after lie after lie and then all of a sudden you get a little truth again and then another lie. As MacArthur points out, he says, Truth mixed with error is usually far more effective and far more destructive than a straightforward contradiction of the truth. Those who trust everything they read from the Christian bookstore or hear on Christian radio and television, they are prime targets for doctrinal deception. After all, Paul said in 2 Corinthians eleven fourteen, 14, Satan disguises himself as what? An angel of light. Ah, the clergy. They must, I mean, you gotta believe the clergy, right? I mean, this guy's not gonna write a book. The, book, the bookstore says Christian bookstore. The TV and the guide, it says Christian programming. Right? Well, of course Satan's going to disguise himself as one of them because people just go, oh, it's Christian. To paraphrase Vody Bauckham, there should be a sign at the Christian bookstore that says the views expressed in this store are not necessarily those of God and his word. I can't tell you how many bookstores I've went into. The soon as you walk in the front door, they're the most heretical is right there in the front. And I mean it. They don't care though. The Christian bookstore doesn't care as long as they make money. And that's very sad. These are people who are believers. They want to sell you, quote, unquote, good stuff, biblical stuff, help you in your walk with Christ. But, man, they're going to make a lot of money off of this book and that book. They don't care. They'll put them out front because Christians are undiscerning. Oh, it's the most popular one. (laughs) That's obviously one that I need to get. No, it's probably not. To continue my quote, and I will close with this. Satan does not always wage war openly against the gospel. He's much more likely to attack the church by infiltrating her walls with subtle error. He uses the Trojan horse scheme by placing his false teachers in the church where they can secretly introduce destructive heresies, 2 Peter 2.1. They sneak in the church. No, folks, listen to me. Nobody stands in the Colosseum, the building, the local whatever, and says, hi, I'm Satan. Hi, I'm a false teacher. Come on in. No, they don't do that. They will sneak within your walls he puts his lies in the mouth of someone who claims to be speaking for Jesus Christ because the undiscerning Christian goes, oh, okay, well, what does he have to say? In this way, the devil disguises falsehood as truth, making that which is evil look like that which is good because I I walk around like this, right? I mean, if I walk around like this, Why would you not want to believe me, right? How many people do this for 45 minutes and never look at it? Or if they look at one verse, they'll take it out of context. Folks, listen as we close. Nobody cares if you claim I am talented. Nobody cares if you claim I am creative, I'm wise, and I'm healthy. So what? What I care about, what God cares about, and I hope what you Care about is that you have the ability to judge, to think, to test, to examine, and to scrutinize. In a world, in a church that is absolutely chuck full of deception, you possess the Word of God. We have no excuse. Be discerning not for this year, for the rest of your life. We live in a time when it seems like there's just as many false teachers as there are decent ones, if not more. Be discerning. Do not be gullible. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you that we were able to have this time today. I pray, Lord, that this would be a challenge to us all, Lord, this kind of stuff has been going on for a long time. Even in the very first century, 2,000 years ago when this was written, people were already flocking into the churches, deceiving others. The Judaizers, the Gnostics, and as we go on throughout the first couple centuries, all the the many minions of heresies, Arianism and so forth, which caused the church to start to have councils. Nicaea, for example, It's been going on for years, but Lord, Christians just buy into it because they're so ignorant. Many people don't even know what salvation is. They have no understanding. The church just gets married and divorced like it's going out of style, like it doesn't mean anything. And yet you have given us clear truth in your word. What is sin? People don't seem to care what sin is or don't even know what sin is. They think, oh, it's fine. Other Christians do it. God, help us to be able to discern, to test, to examine, to scrutinize things. Help us, Lord, to unfortunately, but yet not believe everything we hear. Word for me, too. If people want to test me, be my guest. They tested the apostle Paul. They can certainly test me. God, give us clarity. Give us an open mind. Help us to be able to share truth with others, but to know the truth ourselves. In Jesus' name.